This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Settling in a new city can raise lots of questions. How does the bus service work? Can I join the local library? Where do I go to get advice on renting a home? Over the next half hour, the team from Citizens Advice Bureau bring you all the latest news and information of special interest to new migrants settling in Dunedin. Welcome to Resettling in Aotearoa with Citizens Advice Bureau. Kia ora koutou, no mai anō. Welcome back to our monthly Resettling in Aotearoa show. Ko Anna tōku ingoa. I'm Anna, I'm Kai Whakahaere Manager at Citizens Advice Bureau here in Ōtipoti, Dunedin. Today we are going to have a chat about family violence generally and we have a guest with us, Claire, the Clinical Practice Lead at Ōtipoti Dunedin Whānau Refuge and then who will later also share um, key information about their service. Uh, Tēnā welcome to the show. Yeah, Morena, thank you for having me. So um, I guess firstly, important for the listeners to, to know the definition of family violence. Yeah, I think the definition for family violence is growing in its broadness across um, the world, but definitely across Aotearoa. Um, so the definition or the categories for family violence that we utilise is any violence, um, which can be in many categories, that impact on someone's physical or mental well-being. Um, there's many categories, many, yeah. many categories. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so that's coercion, power, fear, intimidation, that sort yep. of stuff, isn't it, to control someone yep. that they're in. And so also, I guess, important for the listeners that it's, it's abuse between people in a relationship. And that can include um, in a household or flatmates, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Family violence is anyone living in the same household, um, which can include, I guess, you know, flatmates. We we don't deal with that. So that um, here at uh, ODWR, we are intimate partner violence only um, okay. and, and the children of that. Yeah. Um, but definitely because we had to, we had to narrow down. There's, it's so much, there's so much out there that we had to narrow down to yep. deal with our capacity. Yeah. Mm. So what was that other group, the, the acronym you used? IPV, Intimate Partner Violence. Oh, no, there was some other. Sorry, let's not worry about that. Um, uh. <laughs> I thought you talked about someone else that does not in a household. Um, no, it, it generally would fit into victim support or, yep. um, yeah, probably mostly into victim support category. Okay. So, um, as you've already said, family violence can take many forms. So, I thought we could just have a kōrero about the types of abusive behaviour that would be classed as family violence. Absolutely. I guess the one at the top of the list that everyone knows about is physical violence. Mm. Um, That one doesn't need much explanation. People kind of understand that. And then there's the emotional and psychological violence. So, that's that real gaslighting manipulation stuff that happens for people in relationships um the power and control the coercive control making sure you know that they taking all their empowerment away that's that's emotional and psychological stuff there is sexual violence doesn't need a lot of explanation and when consent is not granted for something there is um financial abuse technology abuse reproductive abuse, um, all of these categories we are dealing with. Um, 
and then we're dealing with a lot now building up i guess around that spiritual and cultural abuse um, that is coming into relationships yeah so um you know just so the listeners you know i guess the sexual abuse also includes sort of being made to watch anything pornographic or um yeah yeah even just being sexually harassed isn't it Yeah, yeah absolutely and yeah. same with the psychological, like anything that's controlling, even yeah. someone damaging your belongings or, yeah, you know, saying and, who you can yeah. and can't hang out with, I guess. Um, yeah, isolating you from your network, from your people, from your whānau. Yeah, yeah. Um, putting you, and putting things. you down. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, around even like stopping you going to study or employment or yeah. having an impact on those things in your life. Yeah. Um, that is all those things as well. Yeah, and also abusing pets would come under that category too, wouldn't it? Oh, massive. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And the spiritual, mm. I guess, that's like stopping you go to your going to your place of worship or yeah, um, yeah. Sort of... critiquing your your beliefs, um, yeah. not allowing you to have your own beliefs, having to follow their beliefs. Yeah. Um, telling you your beliefs are wrong. Yeah. Um, we're seeing a lot within the um, LGP, LGBTQI plus network where there's a lot around, um, you know, polyamorous relationships where there's some cultural beliefs being diminished and, and that's a real arena of um, work that we're doing. Yeah. And I guess that's people using their um, their religion to justify their behaviour too sometimes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, mm. so where um, where is it? Where is um, family violence most likely to happen? And what, like, um, it's usually yeah, not well, in I mean, public, is it? Well, yeah. Um, I guess primarily in a family home is yeah. where things are happening. But that that goes out into that community when they're starting to impact their schools, their study, their work, their friends, their family. I don't think it's isolated to one area of our community. It is everywhere. Yeah. Um, and, and in terms of how it impacts people, it is everywhere as well. Yeah. But you could say primarily in a family home. Yeah. But often um, people, well, I don't know, people will try and hide it, won't they? I mean, it definitely yeah. impacts all that outer stuff, but people, Absolutely. would that be, yeah, that would yeah. be people, yeah. Yeah, um, I guess the the point of violence is isolate someone, doesn't it? So it is about yeah. isolating them to the home potentially, yeah. Um, where they are cannot access supports or people can't see what's going on. Yeah, and I guess people put on a public face too. Yeah. Maybe perpetrators put on a public face and and oh, absolutely. you know they don't want other people to see what they how they're behaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> So it's often like we just, I suppose we're talking about, it's often subtle. Um, Mm. And so how does this affect victims in terms of them being able to explain it to others, you know, or the impact that that has on their lives because it is often so subtle? It it can be. And even when it's not subtle and and quite overt, there's still a lot that happens for for a victim or someone suffering where there's still that shame and embarrassment about it happening or that ma they might feel in themselves about talking about that or mm-hmm. saying, hey, home isn't good, um, that, that element of shame makes people hide. And I think New Zealand um, 
is not good at speaking openly about these things no. or about knowing how to respond to it if someone does say something. Yeah. 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 And, and that shame will, will just leave. Well, we'll just leave is not an option for a lot of people. No. That that's, that's a way down the line yeah. and often people are not there yet. And that kind of response that often people will get doesn't, doesn't help or it might shut them down even more. Yeah. Mm. Um, so a bit about statistics um, and, you yeah. know, the, yeah. the, the perpetrators and who the majority of victims are. Can you talk mm. a wee bit about that? I mean, domestic violence is very gender-based in New Zealand and across the world, let's be honest. Um, and so when we talk about it, it is often to being men as perpetrators of violence and sometimes that can be seen as sexist but a majority of our victims when we're talking about this you know 95 I don't know the exact statistic but I would say about 95 percent are women and children yeah. um yeah. so it is a gender-based violence that we've got going on here yeah. um it, the the amounts or the statistics are varied um and sometimes they're not recorded well because a lot of this is not recorded mm. a lot of this is not reported Twenty six percent of family violence is reported to the police. Mm. So seventy four percent is not reported. So no one knows that stuff that's going on. Mm. Um, and, and while we can make some assumptions, it's pretty. That's not very good. Mm. Um, and of no. that twenty six percent reported to the police, eighty percent of those reports involve children. Yeah. So. At very, very large proportion of these um, reports involve children. And I guess more and more um, it's the, it's minority groups as well, like either gender minority groups or disabled or Māori, um, you know, rainbow community. Is it is that becoming, is that changing over time? It, I, I don't think in my role here and the clients that we are dealing with, um, Yes, there is some higher proportion in some areas of the community, but it's across the whole community. It is absolutely across the whole whole community. We've got high up, um, you know, business women coming in for support. We've got teachers. We've got police women. We've got all sorts of people coming to get our supports that are dealing with this stuff at home. It is not only one area of our community. Okay. It is everywhere. And we're yeah. talking one in three. One in three women has experienced family violence. Yeah. So. That's not one pocket. That's no. that's across the board. Yeah. Okay. So from the work you've done with mm -hmm. you know thousands of domestic violence cases, yeah. um, what patterns have you noticed? Um, you know, the five things that you've learned about sort of around leaving, I guess, just broadly. Yeah. I guess leaving a relationship like this is fraught with so many emotions and potential like beliefs that they've been given that that are wrong and that they have to kind of learn um a new norm a new norm that isn't their norm um so sometimes we talk to these women and they say is that not normal because no that's not normal that's not okay but they don't know any different um when you know different you do different but that can take a long time so it can take you know up to 10 times for a woman to leave um, or attempt to leave, and, and that's a lot. That can be over many, many years. Mm. Um, it, it's quite a process, and I think what I've learned is just right time, right people, right supports can mean that someone can successfully leave. Mm. If it's not, 
the right time and the right supports aren't there, then it's very difficult. Um, our, our housing crisis in New Zealand has definitely contributed to a lot of women not leaving yeah. um, or leaving and going back because they can't find housing. Yeah. And it might be that, you know, there's a family home and so they go back. Um, the, off, the cost yeah. of living is massive for yeah. people. Yeah. And the person who is in that, you know, the one that they're the best judge of deciding when it's yeah. safe to leave, yeah, because they've yeah. they've they've figured out how to absolutely um, keep peace, I guess, at home yeah. and um, yeah. yeah. And sometimes leaving is not the safest option. No. Sometimes we sit with a woman for six, twelve months, devising an exit plan that mm. that they're comfortable with, that's going to be safe, that's going to be okay for them and maybe the children. Mm. Um, and just leaving is not always the safest option because that can really elevate things. Mm. The first six weeks yeah. of someone leaving a, a, a relationship where there's violence is the most um, likely that there might be a homicide. So, mm. you know, that's the realistic stuff that we're dealing with day in and day out. Yeah, I read that statistic that of mm. the woman who access women's refuge. Um, 50% yep. believe their abusers might kill them at the time that they reach out for help. Absolutely. It's pretty pretty yep. bad statistic. It's an um, absolute reality that we're dealing with every day is life and death mm -hmm. um, for our women and, and their children. And that's, got, I, yeah, it's, it's awful. Yeah, you do amazing mahi. <laughs> it's very rewarding at times too, but it can be very emotional. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, you talked a little bit about, you know, um, the importance of sort of the key questions, someone wanting to help a loved one who's experiencing this stuff, some of the key things that they need to ask or the key responses that sort of work well. Um, you know, um, you've sort of got to ask the right questions first and then actively listen. Yeah. Um, and there people any examples there? People don't disclose straight away. They need to feel safe with that person to disclose. So it can be, you know, you might ask many, many times before they actually tell you what's going on. Mm. Um, and I think it's a consistency and empathy of going, you know, I'm going to ask a question, are you okay? And I'm going to listen to the answer, mm. not just think I know what's going to come, but actually listen and, and maybe you're going to have to read between the lines mm. about what they're saying. You know, some so of these women are not safe they they yeah. can't talk yeah um yeah. and i guess at the outset it's asking sort of general things like you seem to be feeling bad a lot of the mm. time or you know um yeah or i've noticed i've noticed yeah. this um and that and i think it's that simple those three words are you okay yeah what can i do yeah um it, we don't do it enough and we mm. need to do it more and I guess letting people know that you're there to talk yes. if ever yeah. they need you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just validating, I guess, how they're feeling too, that, that it's not their fault and, you yeah. know, um, that you're Absolutely. glad that they've spoken to you and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I think definitely the probably the worst thing anyone could say is, why don't you leave? Yeah. Um, that's that. It's not simple. To some it? of them, that's not even an option they've even considered. No. Um, well, or they just complex. don't know how. Yeah. Mm. So, um, 
if someone does share that things aren't right, you know, I guess you have to figure out whether they're safe immediately, you know, mm-hmm. that, so that's quite critical to ask, isn't it? And um, Yeah. yeah. You know, Definitely. Guess, and that's how we triage. So we yeah. triage about, you know, is there, I mean, obviously we do thorough risk assessments all the time of any of our clients, but it's about imminent danger. So if there's yeah. imminent danger, someone is at, their lives are at risk, um, then that's very different to someone who might be living in an awful situation, not taking away from it, but that safety planning can be put into place yeah. um, while something else might happen. Yeah. And if someone's in imminent danger, it, it's react to it. Maybe not react to them, but maybe react to other sources. You know, ring us for advice. Um, yeah. Call triple one if you know someone's in imminent danger. Yeah. Do those things. Don't be yeah. a bystander. Yeah. Mm. Um, and and just saying is asking what that you can do to help, I guess, or even if they want, you know, you to be there with them while they call you, for instance. Things like that are helpful, eh? Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, our crisis line, we are a service that is 24-7, yeah. 365 days of the year. We don't stop mm. for anything. And That's so a fantastic. lot of our crisis calls that might come in might be a family member or friend ringing for advice. Um and that's okay. We will advise the best way we can. We can't ring the person they're worried about. No. We need that person to ring us because of consent and, and confidentiality. We've got to be careful. Mm. And we don't want to put them in more danger either. Mm. But you can ring for advice. We talk to people every day that are just ringing and say, what do I do? Mm. You know, landlords, employers, friends, teachers, they all ring and say, "What? this is what we're yeah. seeing. What do we do? Yeah. What information can we give them? Where do we send them? And yeah. so we can then give that information to pass out. Because mm. it does take a lot of courage for an abuser to, uh, sorry, someone to leave an abuser. Um, uh, a lot so of courage. I yep. guess being non-judgmental is the biggest thing, isn't it? And and the other thing is that it can cause a lot of other stress. Like, find, you know, like if you do leave it, you get rid of one problem, but you often create, create financial or other issues. Um, mm. So... You talked a little bit about making a plan, so that that would be the advice. You know, someone is, is thinking of leaving an abusive relationship. That yeah. plan is really important, isn't it? Yeah. So, so there's two plans that we tend to work around with with clients, and that's around an exit plan. If yeah. it is about exiting the relationship and and working around what's going to work, and then it's safety planning. So, how do we keep you safe in all scenarios? So, we might safety plan multiple things with them. Um, but having a plan that works for them because it's not about us. Mm. Um, we don't mind what that safety plan looks like. Like we just want that person to be safe. Yeah, and like you said, it's you know common for for women to l- try to leave a few times before quite, it becomes yeah. permanent. Yeah, yeah, quite yeah. a few times. And I think you know that's to, to make that final step is massive for people, and sometimes they don't realise that they can do it, yeah. and they need to have that empowerment to go, I can do this. Yeah, and I and don't need to yeah. do this, this, and this. I can do it without that. That's right, and there's no right or wrong way to do it, or way to feel, or yeah, it's all all right. okay. Yeah. Mm. Um. Mm. So I just wanted to say a little bit for the listeners about the law as it relates to children here in abuse. So, so yeah. if even if your partner does not directly abuse your children, if they allow your children to see or hear violence, um for example, by allowing them to witness violence towards you, they are still subjecting your children to psychological abuse according to the law. 
And also as a parent, you have a legal responsibility to keep your children safe. And the best thing you can do is to get help for yourself and your children so that you can be free from domestic abuse. Mm. If a child or a vulnerable adult in your household is being seriously neglected or abused, then you must report it. That's the law as well. Um, and so you're liable for, you know, you can't, there's punishments for that if you don't. Um, and mm. the last thing I just wanted to say was that if you do not leave, if you don't live with the victim, you could be can still be considered part of the household if you have frequent contact with the child or vulnerable adult and under the Crimes Amendment Act, if you have frequent contact mm. and know that this is the child's at risk or serious ill treatment or abuse, then you have a legal duty to take reasonable steps to protect them. So that's the end of that for today, uh, our talk. Thanks again to Claire for being here with us um, and for all the listeners for tuning in. Um, you can contact um, the Aotearoa Dunedin Fano Refuge or CAB Dunedin for anything that you know you've heard today that you might want more advice on. We can direct you to services that can help you, but we we ourselves can certainly talk to you about your rights. Um, around this issue, um, but also about anything. And we're at 155 Princess Street. We open at 10 o'clock Monday to Thursday and close at 4. And on Fridays, we are, we open at 10 and close at 1. Um, you can call us directly on Dunedin on 471-6166 or use our nationwide free phone 0800-367-222. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Um, thank you, everyone. Noho Oramai. Matiwa. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.